The following is produced by Artisan Church. Welcome to the Artisan Church Podcast, a weekly broadcast of Artisan Church in Rochester, New York. To learn more about Artisan Church or to support the ministry, visit www.artisanchurch.com. Well, we are um, inching closer to Christmas here, aren't we? We're almost there. Almost, but not quite. By the way, my name is Scott. I didn't introduce myself to you at the start of our service tonight, but I'm glad you're here. As we are getting closer to Christmas, and uh, we, we uh, will break out a little bit of Christmas music in the second set, just a little bit. We've been holding off because we try to celebrate Advent and sort of embrace that anticipation of Christmas, but now it's like, what, five days away, right, Christmas? So we are almost there, and uh, today's story is, not that anybody's counting, right, Bryn? (laughs) Today's story is about Mary, who, um, in our story, is pregnant, but is not quite ready to give birth yet. And anybody who has ever been pregnant... And to a much, much, much lesser degree, those of us who've been near people who've been pregnant, (laughs) understands that as that day gets closer, um, the the anxiety and the tension increases, right? And it becomes harder and harder to wait. Uh, And then it's sort of all over in a a four-day flash. Uh, but that's kind of, uh, with apologies to, to the women who've actually been physically pregnant and, and who are scoffing right now, um, that's kind of where, uh, where we are in, in the Advent season. We're getting closer to that moment where we can celebrate the arrival of Jesus, but we're not quite there. Not quite there. It's sort of a pregnant waiting. Um, and so, as uh, I was thinking that it might be fitting this, this evening to look before we get to that New Testament story that includes the story of Mary, to look back at the Old Testament reading from today's lectionary passages, uh, which is one of the prophets, and it's a prophecy about the birth of Jesus. And so today's uh, Old Testament reading is from the prophet Micah. I'm going to go back to the flannel graph here for a minute. We never take these down. I love these things. You remember how the, uh, the kingdom was divided at some point? into north and south. Micah was in the southern portion before the conquest, um, but he was uh, one of the minor prophets. In other words, one of the 12 short books of prophets instead of one of the big, long five. So um, a minor prophet in the southern kingdom before before the conquest of of Judah and Israel, but when the the conquerors were very much breathing down their necks a little bit, okay? And if you weren't here for our flannel graph series and you're like, what? don't worry, you're with 99% of the population of the Christian church in America today. Um, and you can go watch the videos and, and catch yourself up on the whole Old Testament story. But for those of you who are here, that's, uh, that's where we are in the, in the history there, sort of at the beginning of week four. <laughs> and uh, Micah is speaking on behalf of the Lord, and he's addressing Zion, that hill in Jerusalem where the city is located. Uh, and he's sort of looking up to the hill and addressing them um, this way. Now, this is if you, if you didn't bring a Bible with you, you can reach under your chair and get one. 
And Micah 5 is on page 756 in your red Bibles. And uh, as always, if you don't have a Bible at home and would like one, you can take that one with you. That's one of the reasons we have them under there for you. So here's the Lord speaking on, uh, through the prophet Micah to the city of Jerusalem. This is what he says. Now you are walled around with a wall. Siege is laid against us. With a rod they strike the ruler of Israel upon the cheek. But you, O Bethlehem of Ephrathah, who are one of the little clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to rule in Israel, whose origin is from of old, from ancient days. Therefore, he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has brought forth. Then the rest of his kindred shall return to the people of Israel. And he shall stand and feed his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they shall live secure. For now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be the one of peace. Now, as I mentioned earlier, even though the country is on a two-front war right now. We, we don't really feel that way here. Do you guys feel like we're in the middle of a war as Americans? I don't really... That day-to-day does not register very much for me. And I'm not going to get anywhere near the politics of the issue. But for the people who would hear these words, they had the Assyrians breathing down their necks, like I just said. And so for them to hear that someone was coming, a king from ancient days of ancient origin, who would be the one of peace was fairly significant. I was sort of struck by that this morning as I was reading through it. So that's the Old Testament reading, and we are in the middle of this small gifts series, actually at the end of it, small gifts. And I bet the kids in the room thought I forgot that we're supposed to open a present during this series every week, right? Did you forget that? Did you think I forgot that? I didn't forget that. (laughs) Well, if the kids would like to help me out for this next few minutes and go under the Christmas tree over here and find uh, a brand new coat. No, I'm just kidding. Don't take the coats. Those are for donation. Find the small gift. And if you've already handled a small gift today or this series, maybe let somebody else bring it over to me. There's lots of big gifts under there, but there's only one small gift. And there it is. All right. So here's our small gift, right, uh, for, the, for the week. Who has not yet opened a present during this series? None of you have? Yeah, that's true, you did. I'm going to give it to the shortest person. Is that okay? <laughs> Sorry, guys. All right, Heath is opening this present. <laughs> Bryn got the ribbon. Thank you. Put that in your hair. There. All right, it's a happy present, not an angry present. All right, what is it? what's in there, Heath? Can you find it? It's an Android phone. No. 
Uh, what is that? Can you, can you tell what it is? I think it's a mirror. A mirror? I think it's a magnifying glass. Grant, you are right. It's a magnifying glass. And actually, this one is kind of cool because if you open it, it has a light in it. See that? So what does a magnifying glass do? Bryn, what does a magnifying glass do? It makes things bigger. Does it actually make them bigger? It makes them look bigger. Right. And not only does it make things look bigger, but here, check this out. Heath, uh, can you see the little lines in my wedding ring there? How many are there? Can you count them very easily? No, no, no you can't. But what if you put the magnifying glass on it? It would be easier to count them, wouldn't it? Because you can see it more clearly. See that? Yeah. And one, if one of you gives me a finger, show, not, not that one. Uh, <laughs> There's a fingerprint. Now, can you guys see very easily the little lines that make up the fingerprint on her finger? Not really. Not really, but if we put the magnifying glass on it, you can, can see, see them. The print. You can see the print. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So, a magnifying glass makes it easier to see something that's small, and sometimes it even makes it possible to see something that you couldn't see at all before, right? Like the lines on your finger. Tinny, winny little bugs that are like a speck would be a great example of that. Now, when we get to the, the New Testament passage that I'm going to read in a minute, there's a famous song in there, a poem that somebody sings or says, and they talk about how one thing magnifies another thing. Okay, and it's not a magnifying glass. It's a, well, it's a metaphor. Um, but I want you to maybe listen as you're drawing your pictures and things and see if you can hear me talk about what that thing is that magnifies something else, okay? And remember that just because something is small um, doesn't mean that it's not important. Is that right? Yeah. All right. Now you little kids, go back to your families. We've got big, big person work to do. <laughs> Just kidding. <clears throat> That'll be for Mel. Got you a present, Mel. <clears throat> so this week's small gift message is called Lowly Servants. And... Um, I'm going to read you this passage from Luke chapter 1 uh, in a minute, and you can be looking in the Red Bibles uh, for it. It's on page 831. But the setup here, the part that I won't read is Mary has been told by the angel that she's going to give birth to a son and that he he would be great and that he would be a king um, in the tradition of David, who was, by the way, Mary's ancestor. And so Mary, uh, here at the beginning of this passage, is traveling to family. Um, nowadays, if you get pregnant, you call somebody on your cell phone, but uh, AT&T's coverage was not very good uh, around the time of Jesus. So Mary's going to visit family here. Ver- yeah, Verizon would have been better. There's a map for that. <laughs> All right, so this is uh, Luke chapter 1, and it's a big, long passage, verses 39 through 56. Here's what it says. In those days, Mary set out and went with haste to a Judean town in the hill country where she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. Now, Elizabeth is her sister who's also pregnant. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the child leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why has this happened to me, that the mother of my Lord comes to me? For as soon as I heard the sound of your greeting, the child in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment 
of what was spoken to her by the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked with favor on the lowliness of his servant. Surely from now on all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me, and holy is his name. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, according to the promise he made to our ancestors, to Abraham and to his descendants forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and then returned to her home. By the way, does anybody know what that song that Mary sang there, or maybe it's a poem, do you know what that's called? The Magnificat, right. And why is it called that? Right, well, in the Latin translation of this text, it starts out with the word Magnificat. Uh, It's sort of like saying the Our Father is the the Lord's Prayer. It's it's the Magnificat. A little trivia for you there. So the first words there in that song I think are really fascinating, and they really stand out to me. And what does it say? What does Mary say? This is the part that I was hoping that the kids would listen for. One thing magnifies another. What is it that magnifies what, Bryn? Mary's soul magnifies the Lord. And you might think of it this way, that her soul was sort of like a magnifying glass for God. (laughs) How crazy is that? That a person's soul would make the Lord more apparent, seem bigger, that it would reveal things about God that were previously invisible or impossible to see. Her soul did that, the song says. That's really kind of incredible to me. A neat concept. Especially when you think about what kind of lowly servant Mary herself might have been. Now, I don't know about you, but as a 32-year-old man, pregnant teenagers, you know, I don't necessarily look to them as examples of, of uh, anything, frankly. Teenage girls in general, I have to be honest, I would rather not have very many conversations with them. There is a prevailing prejudice against teenage girls. Would you agree with me? Am I the only one who feels this way? There are none in the room, so I can talk all I want about them. And if you're a teenage girl listening to the podcast right now, uh, Jason made me say these things. (laughs) Yeah. But seriously, even now, teenage girls. Now, you take that, that assumption, those assumptions you might have about teenage girls, and multiply it by about 100, and that's probably how responsible and important Mary seemed in the first century A.D. Not very, especially pregnant. Where do we put the pregnant teenagers in our high schools? We put them off, I don't know about the high schools in Rochester, but in my high school growing up, there was a special room where they educated those people. (laughs) 
Now, in first century Palestine, unwed, pregnant girls, it was even worse. Can we, I mean, and that's understating the situation. So for God to use this particular way of bringing about his, his kingdom, of sending his son to earth, is, is remarkable. What an unlikely hero. What a lowly servant. Let's dig into this a little bit deeper and go a little bit further into that song because there's a, a kind of an interesting turn grammatically here that I want to point out to you. She says, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked with favor on the lowliness of his servant. Now, if you want to understand the flow of that sentence from the first part of it to the second part of it, what is the most important word in that sentence? It's a very small word, and Bryn already knows it because she was here this morning. Yeah, go ahead and say it. Four. Here's a, a, a biblical study rule of thumb that I didn't make up, but it's very true. When you're reading the Bible, you have to answer the question, what is the for for? Or what is the therefore there for? You know, what is the but but? I don't know. <laughs> All those little tiny words when you're reading the text actually matter, don't they? What does the word for mean in this sentence? How does it get us from point A to point B? It means because, basically, doesn't it? So whatever she says in the first part is because of what she says in the second part. And so if we want to know why her soul magnifies the Lord and why uh, she's rejoicing in God, her Savior, we have to know it's because the second part of the sentence, which is this, he has looked with favor on the lowliness of his servant. So I don't want to, you know, I kind of get annoyed when pastors get a little too crazy with the grammar and saying, well, it's structured just this way. And, but for the sake of argument, work with me here. Why did her soul, why was it able to magnify the Lord? Well, for two reasons. One, apparently because she was small, lowly, down low. And more importantly, because the Lord chose to look with favor on her lowliness. See, both of those things are important. This was not happening to a married princess, right? The Lord did not look with favor on the, on the high position of some Jewish princess to send Jesus into the world. He looked with favor on a lowly, unwed, pregnant teenager. And that is, I mean, that's, that kind of stuff is all through the Christmas story. I mean... Obviously, Jesus himself, our little baby savior, you know, born where? In a four-star hotel, in a classy hospital, but no, in a barn, in a feeding trough. Even the, even the prophecies of old spoke in these terms. Do you remember what it said, uh, what Micah said about the, the town where Jesus was born, Bethlehem? He says, but you, O Bethlehem of Ephrathah, who are one of the what? One of the little clans of Judah. From you shall come forth for me one who is to rule Israel. So you've got a, a lowly pregnant teenage girl giving birth to a little baby savior 
in a dirty manger, in a barn, in a little tiny town like Davenport, Illinois, you know, a little dot on the map, 22 mile away. And, and all of these things are true about like the most important moment in human history. Fascinating to me. But tonight, I would like us to focus specifically on the Mary part for a little bit. And let's have an honest conversation about about Mary, shall we? We are evangelical Protestants, most of us in the room. And that's the tradition that this church is part of. And so uh, we kind of take the good with the bad of that, mostly good, we think, or we would be somewhere else. But what do evangelical Protestants think about Mary? And here I would like some actual honest feedback. Maybe, say, as compared to Roman Catholics. Do we want to talk at all about Mary? Do we want to get near the concept, the idea that we might want to look to Mary as, a, as an example and revere her at all? How many Protestants love that idea, do you think? You know, not, not you. I know you're all enlightened people. But, you know, if you were the average Protestant, would you be going, yes, Mary, right now? Probably not. So I want to ask you, what are some of the things that, that um, make it difficult for you, whether it's related to those theological, doctrinal, historical things or not, that make it difficult to revere Mary as an example uh, of something, somebody we would want to emulate? Now, you can, you can tell me some of the things that have been taught about Mary that you disagree with and why that makes it hard for you, or you can just say whatever comes to mind. But talk to me about Mary for a minute. Okay, general aversion to the idea of sainthood. We've got our God. Thank you very much. We don't need this intermediation, and certainly we're not going to pray to them. Is that what you're, where you're going? Yeah. Misogyny. Misogyny. Very interesting. Chauvinism, we'll call it. <laughs> yeah, but could you say a little bit more about that? Misogyny, if you don't know the word, is, is kind of hatred of women. Yeah, so throughout the church, um, there's a perhaps a problem that we need to correct, a bias uh, against women and their importance in the church. Now, if you don't know, we are part of a denomination, and we happily embrace this fact. In fact, it's one of the things that we were looking for when we decided which denomination to align ourselves with. But we are part of a denomination that affirms the full participation of women at all levels of leadership in the church. And and we think that's biblical and, and godly. Um, but certainly, that is not, the, that is not you know, 100% widely accepted throughout the Christian church. Yeah. Ken? Yeah, a very interesting point. The, the Holy Spirit, the, the word for spirit, is, is a feminine noun, right? And is, is often referred to consequently, as she, um, because you wouldn't call, in Greek, you wouldn't call something an it. It would be a he or a she, just like in French or Spanish. You don't call 
you don't call it the chair, you call it, uh, you don't call it that or it, you call it him. Yeah, Mr. Chair. <laughs> Le chaise. Yeah, that's an interesting point, and, and we, I think most of us are ignorant of that fact, and so... Mm, yeah, let's not get into that. <laughs> Jim. Sure. Yeah. So you're you're pointing out a a kind of reactionary tendency throughout the church to step back from the things that those other people do that we don't want to be like. And in this case, it's particularly like the Catholics revere Mary, and so we're going to take a step back from that. Uh, and we're not even going to go up to the line of what's appropriate. We're going to build a wall around that, you know, and, and make sure we don't get anywhere near what those horrible Catholics are doing. Yeah. If you couldn't tell, that was being facetious. That I don't. <laughs> yeah. You don't want all those extra books. Huh? Any other thoughts about Mary? That's an excellent question. It's a, Peter asks a rhetorical question. Given all this stuff, all, all the things that happened here and the prophecy from Micah, why wouldn't we look at Mary as somebody special? I think probably, my, my guess is that Jim said the thing that's, that's the strongest uh, explanation for this fact, that, that, that Roman Catholic tradition teaches that Mary was, uh, was without sin when she, you know, when, even when she conceived, and we don't believe that about anybody but, but Jesus, that they were out without sin, and teaches all kinds of things about Mary, and they put those weird blue statues in their lawn, and, you know, we just don't want anything to do with that, yeah. <laughs> with a little uh, archway over her head, and I, I guess... Um, I, I would like us to react against that tendency somewhat because I think, Peter, you made a great point that, that Mary is somebody who we ought to look up to for the, all, the, all the things that are described in there. Um, there was some interesting conversation this morning that I wonder if is, is at all relevant for, for us tonight about Mary as a woman and, and some of the challenges. Now, somebody hinted on that earlier, but Mary as a woman, is it hard for men to relate to Mary? Is that part of the reason since men have traditionally held the power in the church? Is that one reason? Or just the idea of being pregnant doesn't make any sense to guys, as any pregnant wife will tell you? I don't want to force us down that road, but it was kind of an interesting side trail we had this morning.
Yeah, Lars. We want to get, we want to skip past all that pain and, and bloodshed to get right to the, the cute little baby cooing in those nice sterile rags. <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's a, it maybe a tendency to want to sanitize the whole story somewhat, including the, the, the labor and childbirth and pregnancy. Interesting. Well, as is probably obvious from, from the way I've been talking about it, I, I would really like to encourage all of us to think about Mary as a person that we should look up to and emulate, somebody worthy of, uh, of reverence and of admiration. Now, I'm not saying you have to pray to her. We don't have to go to that point. Uh, but I think that our, our fear of some of those other things that don't make sense to us as Protestants uh, has kind of been to our detriment. And I, I think that the, the one thing that, that I really want you to hear tonight is that just as Mary's soul magnified the Lord, I think our souls can be part of doing that as well. Our souls can magnify the Lord, which is really kind of a crazy thing. I still can't always get my head around the idea that God would want to use lowly people to, to get his message through. But I think the miracle of the incarnation, in other words, the miracle of when Jesus came, when God came to earth, is that for the only time in history, another, a human being held God in her body, <laughs> physically. Jesus physically in Mary's body. So that's the miracle of the incarnation. And I think that the miracle of Pentecost, which is the coming of the Holy Spirit that we'll get to a little bit later in the church year, but the miracle of that reality of the Holy Spirit descending on those believers um, in the book of Acts is that God actually does dwell in all of us. Now, not physically the way that Jesus dwelled in Mary, but God is present and will be present in all of us by the power of his Holy Spirit. And so I have a couple of New Testament passages that I don't have on the screen. Um, and they're just fairly short, so maybe just listen to them. The first one is from the book of Romans, chapter 8, verse 11. This is a letter written by Paul. He says, If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies also through His Spirit that dwells in you. Now, if that doesn't... Oh, I do have it on the screen. I'm sorry. I I forgot that I did that. It was nice of me, wasn't it? If, that, if that's kind of a confusing passage to you, that's probably just because it's from the book of Romans, uh, which is full of confusing passages and very long sentences and so forth. But the point is, all that talk about Christ dwelling in us, you can't really get away from that idea if you're going to read the letters of Paul. Let me give you another one here. In Ephesians 3.19, Paul says, I pray that you know the love of Christ that surpasses all knowledge, so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. 
that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. So it's that verse that I would like you to have ringing in your ears as we go to communion tonight. And so let me say it again to you as a prayer, and I will change the pronouns to include myself in this because unlike Paul, I am not, uh, you know, way advanced spiritually compared to the rest of you. Um, And so let me say this for all of us, and then our communion table will be open for the rest of our time together. We pray that we would know the love of Christ that surpasses all knowledge so that we may be filled with all the fullness of God. Amen. Our table's open for the rest of our time tonight. We're going to sing a couple more songs together. Uh, But come to the table as as soon as you are led. Uh, And if you are seeking to follow Christ, and if you're seeking to have that fullness of God filling you, this is a great place to to start. And um, if you're kind of already on that journey, it's a great refueling opportunity for you as well. So our table's open, and you can come whenever you're ready. This has been the Artisan Church Podcast. To receive future podcasts, go to www.artisanchurch.com slash podcast or subscribe on iTunes. Thank you for listening.